every lip does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. How long are things supposed to last? Now, this is one of those questions that might be best discussed over a good bottle of wine or perhaps in a cafe in Colorado or Amsterdam, if you get my drift. There's Aristotle, of course, who talked about the fact that essence is the fundamental of existence, basically the set of attributes that make an entity or substance what it fundamentally is, and without them, it loses its identity. In other words, is a rose still a rose after it's died, lost its smell, color, shape, etc.? Or we could look to St. Thomas Aquinas talking about the difference between essence and existence. There's a great philosophical debate to be had for sure. Myself, I prefer the Dr. Seuss approach to it, which is, today was good, today was fun, tomorrow is another one. But things seem to be disappearing more frequently now. Companies in the S&P 500 in 1958 remained in the index for an average of 61 years. By 1980, the average tenure of an S&P 500 was 25 years. And by 2011, that average had shortened to 18 years. Now on average, one S&P 500 company is now being replaced by another every two weeks. And there are, of course, other things that we've taken for granted as ingrained in our society that will most likely disappear in our lifetime. The post office. The paper check. When was the last time you wrote one of those to Domino's Pizza? But as digital takes the permanency out of a lot of things, there are even very recent things, too. The remote control for your TV, replaced by voice. Portable memory sticks. Passwords, perhaps replaced by biometrics. So when we start creating new things, that new campaign, that new blog, that new digital magazine, that new strategy, how long should it last? And that's the theme of our show today. Creating things that should last forever or creating things knowing that it will be obsolete very, very soon. As soon as we create it, it starts to be over. But Dr. Seuss also said, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And now it's time for us to smile and this intro to be over and for us to get on with our little show. You ready for it to start to be over? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 141 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, July 25th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the beginning, middle, and end of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, I'm my friend? doing just fine. It's so funny to listen to you that that little roll of the R's is getting longer every week. It's like, and behind. Well, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the, the Howard Stern, the KNBC. Exactly. And then behind door number two is WNBC. Is a content marketer. You get nothing for that. No. How was your weekend, my behind friend? Behind door number three. <laughs> How was your weekend? 
<laughs> my weekend was lovely. It was it was as the office space quote goes, I did nothing and it was everything I hoped oh, it could be. That's wonderful. I Yeah, it was pretty nice. I've been on the road for two weeks straight, so this was uh this was nice to not be. I actually read a fiction book this weekend. That's what I did. Oh, see that's lovely. I sat and that's wonderful. That's I have envy. I have fiction envy. It's uh it it really did feel freeing. I am a different person I can imagine. because of it. It's been a while since I've read a fiction, but I do have actually have a goal of every month to read at least one um, fiction book. That's not a business related oh, book, goal. Um, but I've missed that's the last goal. three months. Yeah, so I have to get back on that horse. Did you make up with a big one? Like, is it a large fiction book? Uh, it, it was the 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 guilty. Uh, my wife recommended it to me. Bal is it Baldaki? Baldacci? Um, Baldacci, yeah, I think it is. So, yeah, the crime writer, right? Yeah. And uh, it was yeah. good. I like those. I mean, it takes me a while to get into those, but once I'm going, I can't stop. So I don't know what kind of reader you are, but like once I get maybe thirty yeah, once you get of the into way it, through, I'm, I'm the same. Like, way. don't yeah, even just, talk you, to me. Yeah, don't bother me. Exactly. I'm going. I don't care if it's three in the morning. I'm reading this thing through because if I go to bed, I feel like I can't sleep because I haven't finished something, and I have to, yeah. and I have to finish everything, <laughs> right, my friend. Exactly. That's the right. that's the way we roll. Um, well, speaking of yeah, that's speaking of finishing things. We should probably start with. Uh, I, I hear there's some things about content marketing. Yes, we should you know about. what? Thank you for reminding me. Uh, I believe today is 42 days out, my friend, from Content Marketing World. 42 days. There we go. That's that's, that's so. Sh- it doesn't tell people the significance of 42 for those who don't know. It's going. Well, you want to know? The, oh well, it's the answer to the life, the world, and everything from. The yes. Tiger's Guide there to the Galaxy. Go. And, uh, exactly. of course, my first company was named Junta42. That's a whole other episode. We're going to get into yeah. why we did that. I still don't have any, a good answer for it. But anyways, 42 days <laughs> uh, till Content Marketing World. want to make sure everyone knows I want all our PNR Thistle Marketing listeners to be there. We have a $200 off discount code. It's PNR200. PNR 200, go to contentmarketingworld.com. Make sure you register. The code is only good for a few more weeks. Uh, I, you know, I say this every year, but in this, this time it's actually true, Robert. This is our best lineup ever. <laughs> every other year has been a lie. Every other year I was year lying is to you. True. This is really going to be amazing. Of course, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing Mr. Mark Hamill, but you know, you've got of a great course. keynote panel with the, with brand marketers from Visa and GE. Absolutely, I do. I'm very much looking forward to that. And the Hollywood Squares oh, are coming that's back. Be fun. And I, are you? Uh, you're the center. Are you the center? I'm a center oh. square on the second day. You yes, should be absolutely. the center square Taking on the place of the Godfather on the yeah, second day. You should day. be that's the right. center square on the first day because the guy who has a center square on the first day, he's an idiot. I don't <laughs> think that's even a little bit true, but yeah. Yes. So anyway, we'll get. Make sure if you haven't registered, register. I want to see you there. Maybe Robert, what we should do is if we get enough people using that coupon code, we should like invite them to the opening like pre pre party, and we can talk to all of our listeners and stuff like that. That'd be kind of fun. Oh, that would be so, totally uh, great. So I guess you, so. Yeah. Everybody sign up, use that code, and let's say if we get like let's say if we get twenty five people that use that code, that should be enough that we can convince. Uh, the people who you know run the budget and things that we can have a little <laughs> little cocktail party. Uh, for I like people. it. Cocktails are yeah, always good. Be fun, so I we'll like do it. that. So that's the one thing. Content marketing world. Go sign up. Uh, second thing is our episode po- sponsor is again our friends at Hrefs. Uh, you and I have seen the tool in action. Very impressive. If you want to get found in Google, understand who's linking to you, understand your competition, uh, pull data to work on your future content stuff. Hrefs is a great tool. Check them out. 
Uh, they have a 30% discount for PNR listeners. You can go to cmi.media slash PNR141A. That's cmi.media slash PNR141A. And you can get that 30% discount off of the Ahrefs tool. So thank you to ahrefs.com. We truly appreciate it. So they've been with us a whole month. Truly. That's been great. We really appreciate that. I absolutely adore it. And I'm I'm hopeful for one day getting an Ahrefs t-shirt. I, I really think it. I, I will be very sad if one doesn't exist. We need to so. we need to make that happen. I I, I you know we, we I do. think we know some of the inside people. Maybe we can. I need to have it in orange. I can't do it if it's not in orange. I can't do anything with it. Like, I think that's I think you that's, can. There's your hint. Gauntlet thrown. Yeah, you AHFs. you can. You yeah. you have the flexibility and the freedom in your life to wear things that aren't orange. <laughs> I on the other hand have well, to wear orange. It's not that I'm not that free. I get yelled at by certain people. Down, so that's <laughs> that's my Christmas gifts to you every year. <laughs> Happen to be some exactly. some kind of orange clothing clothes, item folks. that happens I get to orange be clothes orange. every year from Santa Polizzi. Oh, yeah, but you look good at those <laughs> workshops with that orange Thank tie. You, you were. Rocking the orange tie. I love it. Thank so. you very much. Shall we All start? Right. Shall we to the news yes, then? we shall. As we shall. All right. Well, it was a big week of news. There are, there are weeks when I have to really dig deep into the repository that is our news bucket, but this uh, week was not one of them. There was a lot and lot to talk about. We are going to start with two very large acquisition news that we'll pair together here. The first, of course, the big news, which broke over the weekend, Yahoo now finally sold itself and sells its core business to Verizon for $4.8. Billion dollars. There's a, a big acquisition of a content oriented company. The, the story will come to us courtesy of the New York Times.com. The second story we will talk about here in just a second is that Unilever has now bought Dollar Shave Club for $1 billion, um, another innovative company in the space. And the story will also come to us courtesy of the New York Times. Let's start with the Yahoo story here. And the article opens up by saying, Yahoo was the front door to the web for an early generation of internet users. And its services still attract a billion visitors every single month. But the internet is an unforgiving place. <laughs> Don't we know. In a different direction <laughs> than that. With that, for yesterday's great idea... And Yahoo has now reached the end of the line as an independent company. So what say you, Mr. Polizzi, is uh, truly an end of an era, I think, yeah? Oh, definitely an end of an era. It's it's weird seeing AOL and Yahoo together again, which is it's or really together weird. for the first time, I guess it is. Yeah. So, the, so the, the, the article says that the operations will be combined between AOL and Yahoo, which... It's a little scary, uh, but you know, going through and kind of reminiscing through the past, this article is fantastic because obviously it says at one time Yahoo was worth $125 billion, and then in 2007, what was the year they got the offer from Microsoft? That's right, 2007, 2008. They got the there. offer from Microsoft for $44 billion, and here they are, you know, nine years later, eight years later, they get the offer for $4.8 billion. And you and I were actually trying to figure out whether or not that $44 billion offer for Microsoft at that time was included Alibaba, which, which you know, it really doesn't matter either way. Uh, this yeah. is a significant discount to what the value of Yahoo is worth. And I guess what interests me and what I want to get your take on and even into the other story, but we can talk about that in a second, is it, it almost seemed like Yahoo tried to do a little bit of everything. It didn't really focus on being great at anything. And I think if you're a brand marketer 
and you're a content marketer and you're thinking about what you're trying, this is a really good lesson that you can learn and to really figure out where you can be the best at things and not just, let's say, in content sake, just create content through maybe all your personas and do dabble in a little bit of everything and be jack of all trades. And I think that's what Yahoo really, were, they were best at. They were best at creating content and, and maybe still are. A little bit of content in every little place, travel and finance and um, business news and entertainment. And they're not the number one source of any of it, but they're just there. You know, they're still there. They're still getting the people there. And then, of course, the business model is advertising based, which is a tough one. We'll talk about that throughout the show as well. But did, do you, yeah. did, you have, did you have that take? That's what when I read this, that's what I thought was what's the lesson in this? And it's just not to dabble. It's the, I mean, they got I, I their think, butts kicked by Google, who basically said, we are going to create the best search engine on the planet. And they did it and left Yahoo in the dust. Well, so a couple of things there, and absolutely, I do agree. I mean, you know, th- this is a classic case study in a business not understanding what business it's really in and really focusing. I mean, you know, so I mean, funny enough, and, and I, I actually, my piece this week for the intelligent content letter was, um, you know, it was called starting a stopping list, right? Which is one of the biggest things that I have noticed over the last, you know, year as I've been working with brands and marketers of all sizes is really when we think about it, when we're trying to build a business case to do something new, we're not actually building a business case to do the new thing. That's usually the easy part. The harder part is building the business case to stop doing the old thing. And Yahoo is a classic example of this. This is a company that grew by being a human curated content company. It was basically a directory, a human curated Mm -hmm. and created directory that turned itself into a search engine. By the way, invented search advertising. Yahoo was doing search advertising way before Google was. And then sort of seeded that whole thing to Google as Google sort of took over as a search engine. But never, and then to your point, Yahoo really started to dabble in every single thing. They bought companies, they bought technologies, they tried to get into this, they tried to get into that, they bought Flickr, they, all of these different things that they tried to do that were sort of ancillary to their core thing. You know, don't, people forget how great a resource Yahoo Finance was. Yahoo Finance was the place where you went to learn about companies and learn stocks and learn about how you know, companies were organizing. It was an amazing site. Still is in many degree ways. I mean, they haven't revamped it or done it. Still exactly the same as it was five years ago. And so, and and so, you know, not really understanding which things they were going to stop as they began to see where things could be successful, I think is the, is the, you know, I mean, it's to the theme of the show for sure, but it's figuring out what they should stop doing to figure out where yep. they should focus is, is I think was really the, the death knell for them. Try, by trying to keep all parts of the business happy, they kept none of them differentiated and thus gave up on so many things that they ultimately just sort of, it wasn't a big bang. It was just sort of everything sort of fizzled out. And so to your point, they've got these great content channels that are out there that are still getting a billion visitors every, I mean, a billion visitors is for real traffic in this day and age and across their network of site to get a billion visitors a month. That's something that if you have the wherewithal to actually do something with that, and we'll see if Verizon can do it, turn those billion visitors a month across the Yahoo network, combine that with the AOL network, which of course people forget is Huffington Post and a whole bunch of other properties 
we'll see if they can actually do something with it and integrate it into a really interesting content network. I have my doubts that Verizon can actually pull that off, but there's the opportunity to, that, that awaits. Well, I think, yeah, to, the, to your point, no mission, right? There was just, or a lack of mission, a la- lack of vision, if you will. And it actually served uh, uh, Marissa Meyer pretty well. I hear she's taken home $57 million out of this and in, in sure. addition to the 150 that she's already taken. So, uh, you know, good for her. Uh, that's yeah. a pretty good game. No, it was a good it. career. Yeah. It was, a, <laughs> as, the, as the old Saturday Night Live sketch goes, Yahoo been Betty Betty good to Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Verizon thing is interesting. Do you know? So there's a, there's a communications company that buys a number of media properties, if you will. It looks like they're separating their company into, you know, you got communications, you've got services to businesses, small businesses as part of that. And now you've got media. Um, are they going to, do you think they're going to keep the media kind of driven off of the advertising business model, or that's going to be used to drive business for their communications and services group? You mean Verizon? Uh, Verizon. What did I say? No, you said Verizon. I just wanted to yes, clarify Ver- that, Verizon. that too. That's who you Yeah, meant. so Verizon. Yeah. So Verizon's business model of, you know, I, I see it almost like Red Bull where, you know, you've got the can business and you've got the media business. Well, now you've got communications from Verizon. You've got their, that business. You've got the services business they have. And then now you've got this media business, which is huge. Yes. Well, this is, you know, this is what's going on in the telecommunications world where, where classic telecommunications companies um, are becoming media companies. And this has been going on for 20 years. Um, you know, you can see the rise of Comcast. You can see what AT&T has done here. Um, and now you can see what Verizon is beginning to do by assembling some of these things. You know, I mean, you just look at what Comcast owns and, and in terms of content and legacy media companies and those sorts of things. And I think Verizon envisions itself as a content and media company of the new, you know, of the new millennium, right? So where, you know, Comcast owns lots of TV networks and, and classic, you know, publishing and media houses. You're looking at Verizon really trying to own the space as it pertains to digital media. You know, their investment in the NFL and their investment in um, what's going on with, uh, you know, with AOL and now Yahoo and the other things they're doing across so many different parts of the digital media landscape. This is them, you know, just diversifying their business like the other telecommunications companies have. And, you know, looking at themselves as a new kind of as a new kind of both provider and uh, and content company. So, you know, look out, you know, look out Google, look out, you know, Viacom, look out, you know, all of the big companies that are out there. Look out Comcast because here comes Verizon. We'll see if they can execute. But that's that's the overall strategy. So I guess the question is, when does AT&T start to buy more media brands? Yeah, well, they were in the vine, yeah. right? AT and T was in the vine, you know. And I mean, somebody classically put, I thought it was awesome. Somebody put, you know, the eBay offers for for, for Yahoo are in, so you could always check the latest bid. Um, so AT and T was in the yeah. mix here, so they, you know, they're 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 they'll do something else. I mean, that money won't sit idle That's for right. long. It's gonna be. Well, they're, well, they're they're not going to buy Disney. We know this. No, but no, they won't be buying Disney because, because Apple Apple's won't going be buying to Disney that either. No, that's see, that's, that's not the guy. Oh, I can't wait till that happens. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to bake a cake. Um, <laughs> I'll eat that. Well, cake. so I so you you paired cake. this with the Dollar Shave Club. Why I did. did you yes, pair the Dollar. I want to know what, what's the what's the well. Deal? Be, here here's the thing. I think what it does is that it speaks to two large acquisitions. 
um, you know, that happened in relatively short time with each other. But both of, both of them have content and, and industry implications. I don't think, you know, look, we'll, well, let's talk about Unilever and we'll, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll see where the connections are here. This article also comes courtesy of the New York Times. And the article starts out by saying, it began with dinner in New York between Michael Dubin, the founder of the popular growing startup Dollar Shave Club, and a senior executive at the international consumer giant Unilever. A little more than six months afterward, Dollar Shave Club, which was built on the idea of, well, inexpensive razors, has sold itself to Unilever for a rich price. The all-cash sale of about a billion dollars announced Tuesday night is a high point for digital commerce startups like Dollar Shave Club, which have gained popularity for coming up with new ways to sell consumer goods largely without the overhead of brick-and-mortar stores, basically the subscription model. So, um, you know, look, I think the connection here for me is when I look at what Dollar Shave Club did through an innovative marketing strategy. Now, some people have been emailing both of us, quite frankly, and talking about how Dollar Shave Club was so great at content marketing. They actually weren't. They actually didn't create any content marketing that I can find. Most of their amazingly innovative and interesting content was all branded content. It was all long form television commercials done over digital media like YouTube, where they would do, you know, a four or five minute commercial. And it was wildly entertaining and interesting, but certainly not content marketing by any stretch. Um, But I look at them as doing what they did in such an innovative way and really changing the model of how they went to market as a very interesting um, look and when you see a classic digital company like Yahoo sort of failing to change and this new innovative content oriented company based on a subscription model for razors really disrupting the market in a new way I think this is the meeting of the old and the new I guess is my point well I, I would agree with you I think that how much Unilever and Procter and Gamble have to put into their r and d and have to put into their advertising, obviously. What, I mean, how much was it? Ten billion dollars or something that P and G spent last year on advertising Unilever in the billions That's right. as well. And then you've got, uh, you know, Michael Dubin comes along and and basically spends five thousand bucks to do a video. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, and it gets you know millions of people to check it out. And then of course they got the conversions off of that, and here they are. What I what I think is interesting is. Again, I think it goes back to targeting who you who your audience really is and really focusing on what a mission is. They were able to focus on that group. Of course, they ended up creating a category out of it, but they they focused on that group of very uh, – uh, it was a small group at the time of – whether you want to call them hippies or people that did want to spend you know whatever it was, 30 bucks for razors anymore – and said, sure. hey, there's another way to do it. This is fun. We're different. Spend a buck a month. Uh, we'll see how whether it's the Netflix model, whatever you want to call it, is fine. And they totally uh, did something different that hadn't been done before. And that something different that we saw from Dollar Shave Club, that's what every company can do today. I think that's the that's, that's what well. It is. That's exactly right. It's the how fast things can grow in this marketplace, right? I mean, one of the articles that maybe we can link to this in the in the show notes that was that was sent to us is from the guys at Stratechery, um, which I love their podcast, and they had an article that talked about how. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that actually P&G bought Gillette for $57 billion. And so there's a legacy company buying a legacy company for 
its brand, certainly, its R&D, its quality product, etc. So here's a company, Unilever, buying, you know, Dollar Shave Club for much less, right? You know, you can argue it was a bargain or you can argue that it was way too much or whatever it was. But the interesting thing to me is, is how quickly they went from zero dollars to a billion dollars in valuation and how quickly that is becoming a new model by which, you know, competes with a Gillette or competes with quite frankly, every other major brand out there. There's no reason that any other company that's focused on doing something like this can't do exactly the same thing. Do you know of the $57 billion that uh, they paid for Gillette, what the revenues were for Gillette at the time? I don't you know. It would be interesting head, no. to see because I'm curious that the billion dollars that Dollar Shave Club got, I know it was five times, five more than five times revenue, I believe, is what, yeah. so that's pretty healthy sum. And I think a lot of that different a lot of that isn't based off of, oh hey, this is a great business model. I think a lot of it is based off of the the value that, because of the marketing. Because yeah. of the cult value. Seven billion dollars is currently the sales number for uh, for Gillette. Seven billion is currently the number? Oh that's that's what I'm I quick that's a quick Well that's if that's the truth, then that whole work. theory just goes down the tubes. But because <laughs> that yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. But the point is, is that there was a lot of value built up uh, from a, a relatively small organization. So that's what blows me away. I mean, there really it wasn't a huge operation and they were able to get a billion dollars in cash for it. And a lot of it was positioning and marketing. Yeah. Gillette. Yeah. Seven billion. This comes from Forbes. Uh, sales were seven billion. Brand value estimated by Forbes here as of May 2016 is $20.2 billion. Man. <laughs> What's a billion dollars here or there? Who yeah, really cares? Just throw it. Yeah, throw it out. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I guess the point in both of these purchases is get focused on who your audience is and what things you can, change quickly, th- folks. What you've yeah. been good at. Yeah, absolutely. Things can change quickly. Things change quickly for the good and things can change quickly for the bad. A, a standard business can get disrupted and you can disrupt standard businesses. It's, 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 that's the, that's the lesson here. There you go. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our next story here. This one is a fascinating one. So uh, Medium, as we've talked about a few times on this show before, is apparently launching a creative exchange for writers. Huge hat tip to Melanie Desiel. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Melanie, um, for pointing us out uh, this story um, and giving us the heads up on it that uh, creative writers are getting outbound reach these days. And then there's also a FAQ and site for this, um, which we will link to in the show notes. And the FAQ that is linked to four writers that Medium is putting out um, says, what is our creative exchange? And as Medium says, they say one of their goals is to help writers and publishers get paid for their work on the platform. With that in mind, they designed the Creative Exchange, a program that seeks to connect creators with brands. Here are some examples of content we've produced on behalf of brands. So here they are launching a content studio, but using the users of Medium, the writers as an exchange network to be able to do that. So if you're a writer and you want to monetize your writing and want to write for brands, Medium is now an outlet that you can consider. I think this is I think this is much bigger news than I have seen covered in the press. What did you think about yeah, that's this? What, this is uh this is really interesting, and I, I can't believe I mean, Melanie, thanks for sending it to us. 
Yeah, I thought this would be a much bigger thing. I mean, if you look at the examples that Medium has already created in their brand partnerships portfolio, I mean, whether you look at, um, you know, Samsung, Intel, uh, what else do they have? Uh, They do work with uh, Upwork Mm -hmm. with Rolex, Motorola, The Guardian. I mean, this is amazing. What's what's interesting and how this is different from other, let's say, writing marketplaces where the marketplace itself will match you up and then you sort of figure out the deal. This is a lot. This is actually uh, easier for Medium to go ahead and execute because they have the distribution that the brand comes to them for, and it looks like they don't just put the brand and the writer together. It looks like Medium brings this together under their own brand partnership. So That's they. Right. So this is. Uh, basically medium becoming a an agency if you will and then they're recruiting from the medium writing population and how do you become a really you know how how do you get leverage and go to the top of the list if you want to be a writer for medium oh well you have to write on medium on a regular basis and get a distribution network and get a following because that will help right (laughs) isn't that interesting so self-fulfilling prophecy there and it looks like i mean i don't want to say this is a marketplace killer but this is a pretty good deal if you're a writer. I mean, I don't know what they're, what they're paying, but what I do like is it It sounds like, if you read through the details, that it's not on like a per-word basis. It's on a per-project base, basis based on the expertise of the writer, um, That's which right. is just like That's every right. other content marketing project out there, which is a lot yes, better than, exactly oh, we'll right. give you now a they could also word. Because they control the platform, they could also introduce a number of monetizable sort of performance metrics along with this as well, right? So you could get paid more if you're a, you know, if you have a big audience, you could get paid more if you generate a lot of traffic, you could get paid more, you know, there's a lot of ways they could actually, because they're limiting this, at least at first appearance, to writing on the medium platform and connecting you with these brands that you would write for on the medium platform. There's a lot of different ways they could put performance metrics in here to get, you know, writers who perform better or have bigger audiences more dough, which again provides a competitive advantage to some extent over the some of the writer networks that we've seen out there the scripteds and skywords of the world so i you know i i have a big question mark in my head over what this does to some of those freelance networks that are that are out there classic now a lot of those companies we should mention are have been you know the, especially the scripteds and skywords and contentlies of the world have been evolving into pure software plays and in many cases you can't actually buy the software or the buy access to the freelance network anymore without buying access to the software but you know if you're looking at you know really if you're a writer or you're a content producer and you're looking to monetize yourself this feels like a much i don't know a a a much i don't know if it's easier is the right word but certainly this this provides for an opportunity that you know you're gonna you're gonna want to take a look at. I have. Well, to I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we've been wondering for years about Medium's business model, and it's starting to kind of come into focus. We they're basically a content management system platform is the one side that they're you know they're going to ultimately charge people almost like a WordPress uh, opportunity there, and then now you've got this content marketing project side of them. So it's. You know, those are those are two big could be two big money makers for them. I don't know how scalable the the brand partnership side is, but it's definitely it's most likely profitable, and it's it helps them regardless because it gets more people on the platform. So that's right. Interesting. That's right. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at their growth, and they're really a you know they're really a software company that has started with a media strategy. I mean, fancy that, right? You know, they they started out looking like a media company, and more and more they're looking like a software platform company. So, man, I, I wonder where I've heard that before. all right then uh moving on to our last story of the show here this comes to us courtesy of digiday this is one of those ones where joe and i get to say told you so um the headline here when i saw this cross my inbox i have to say it was just like i i I can't even believe that this is happening as fast as we thought it might. So the headline here is T-Brand Studios. This is the New York Times T-Brand Studios, of course, is now a full-fledged agency. The article opens up by saying, When the New York Times' T-Brand Studio opened for business two and a half years ago, it sold marketers, including Netflix and Cole Haan, on the idea that it would create splashy multimedia articles that could be taken for Times journalism worthy of sitting alongside actual stories on the NewYorkTimes.com homepage. But today, T-Brand Studios' output is just as likely to be stripped of the Times logo and run on the marketer's corporate website. The Times is expanding T-Brand into an agency with a full array of marketing products and services. The Times set a goal of doubling its digital revenue to $800 million by 2020, and this is one of the ways it plans to get there. And I will tell you, at $800 million, they are a for-real agency. That is a That is a meaningful revenue number for an agency these days. So... What, look at them go is what I have to say. Uh, yeah, we we've talked about this happening. We knew it was going to happen. Even when T Brand Studio announced, we talked about the fact that they would evolve from just doing uh, editorial projects on their site, most likely to to doing all kinds of things. And of course, that's what's happening. Uh, it's it's interesting that I mean, I, mean, I got to take it back to when I used to work at Penton, and we you know we we were a publisher, and we had this uh, you know branded content, content marketing unit that, that was there. And we we didn't have an advantage over the agencies that were out there that focused on dealing with clients all day long um, We because it was such a side business. And we're like, yeah, we still were all into advertising. We're still into our regular product lines. And of course, we did this little content marketing thing on the side. Now that you have publishers that are focusing on this full time and they're saying, hey, we know how to write really good, amazing content for these brands. And at the same time, now they're just expanding their their offering. So it's not just the distribution. And I can't tell you how, how important that is. Like if you are an, if you're an agency and you have distribution, that's big. Like you can yeah. go in and say, right. yeah, we can write the best content in the world, and maybe we're going to write this. Maybe it's the same as this other agency over here. But oh, by the way, we have great distribution. Yeah. <laughs> so that helps, and of course, now it doesn't even matter too because they they probably have an option where it's like, okay, well, you can distrib- distribute your content on all these different ways using the New York Times, or uh, we'll help you place that media just like a media buyer would. So my question to you is. What what does what happens to the media agencies in all this? You know, I, I have well, this is one of those things where I don't think they go away, and here's why: because the one thing that I don't think you're going to start to see, at least for some time, you know, we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> Again, with sort of callback to the theme of the show, we'll see how long this lasts. But I think the idea that you know, you're going to employ the New York Times as T-Brand Studios for you to buy media across multiple, you know, different publishing platforms is probably pretty low. 
So in other words, your classic ad media strategy where you're going to go in and figure out how, you know, all the different outlets where you're going to put your ads and content and all that kind of stuff. I just have a feeling that there's going to be some separation of church and state there that that most brands are going to be a little uncomfortable with, certainly are going to be uncomfortable with in terms of the major change that this represents in the relationship that they have with their agency. So I don't see a real upset there for some time, but the possibility is there, right? There is no reason that the, you know, that T-Brand Studios couldn't start making deals with other publishers, quite frankly, to start to figure out how they might get most favored nation status on Condé Nast or the Wall Street Journal or, you know, and say, listen, we're just going to expand our network of publishers one note at a time. You know, we'll make sure that we're making you recommending you for media buys of this content and stuff we're creating and so on and so forth. And we'll give, you know, there's no reason that the media buying business couldn't be disintermediated with publishers and they couldn't take that on as an element of what they do as part of an overall content uh, service that they provide to brands. There's no reason that couldn't happen. That. I don't see that for some time, but there's absolutely no reason that couldn't happen. I, well, I, what I think it disrupts immediately is the creative and strategic services that agencies are providing. I wonder, do you, do you ever think you'd see an agency of record be a T-brand studio type company? Wouldn't that be interesting? That's where yeah, I think that's where we're going next, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. We've already right. seen that's that. We've already seen next. content marketing agencies become agencies of record. Oh, so sure. that that you would know, that's I mean, content happened. marketing agencies are now expanding their suite of services. You know, the biggest agencies that we know, our friends and family of this show, are expanding their suite of services to include things like media buying and ad creation and those sorts of things. It's a you know, it's arguably, and I know I'd get debate on this, but it's arguably easier to start with content marketing as your core and develop ad and media strategies around that than it is the other way around. It's totally that's, agree you know, with that. so that's the opportunity. It, it's it's a really interesting time. Oh, it's I I am I'm so interested to see where this go, where this goes actually and what the whether an an agency just becomes somebody that that whether all agencies become alike, there's no content marketing agency. There's no traditional advertising agency. There's just an agency that gets this. Um, and we talked. What was it? The last was it the last episode or two ago? Two ago, where we basically said brands, agencies, and media companies are all looking alike. Exactly. Regardless, yeah. it's it's abs- right. Well, and here's the thing: what we're starting to see. We talked about this a little bit last show. What we're starting to see are agencies now starting to get into the publishing game and when we start seeing some big moves there you know like when a wpp buys a you know a time or a you know or you know not time but because that's too big but some some big named publisher that has a family of magazines when there's an agency who owns a big family of magazines like a Condé Nast or um, you know those kinds of things that's when it's going to start to really get interesting because now they now they've started to multiply and diversify their business you know portfolio as well. That's going to happen really soon if it, if not oh, already. I, I can't. I, uh, I don't even know why it hasn't. I had a conversation. This is about six months ago. I had a conversation with um, the CEO of a, an agency, content marketing agency that focused focused on just financial companies, and we were talking about growth strategies for them. And I said, you know, the best growth strategy for you is to build a financial content platform. 
yeah. so that you exactly you, you basically right. draw the audience to you that your clients want, and then you can you just expand your options and offerings. Exactly, you just expand your offering to fit into that audience, and that way you don't have to go and figure out, oh, okay, where are we going to get distribution? Well, you have distribution. You have it. You are, and yes. you already show your expertise. Nobody would ever question that. Oh, you don't have the expertise because you have the platform in the industry. So, you want to hear my new tweetable moment? Yeah. My, my new tweet, my, this is going to be the headline of my talk at Content Marketing World. I just came up with this the other okay. day, and I'm going to go actually do the research to see if it's actually true or not. Okay. But, but here's the headline right now. Here you Maintaining an audience is actually easier than reaching one. I get that. I could, yeah. yeah. What, it, what I mean by that is basically building an audience and maintaining it is actually less expensive in today's world than reaching the fragmented audiences across all the different channels. In other words, building this, build, what you just described is actually, in the long run, cheaper and more effective than actually an advertising strategy. Well, I will get I, – that's so interesting because my rant when we get into it plays into that and i want to get your take on it so we can fantastic look that all right well we should well and speaking of speaking of that we should probably speak about our wonderful amazing sponsor of course we have another excellent sponsor today our good friends at episerver which are offering a new ebook for pnr listeners called four steps to simplify the digital experience and of course we like experience and we like simplification here on pnr of course robert and we like digital and we too, like digital we like all these these are these are words we like these together. are words we like <laughs> as a digital marketer you face both external and internal challenges i know we all do from declining organic reach on social to software issues issues that saps your team's productivity at the same time, you are tasked with managing content that increases lead count, boosts sales, or raises customer loyalty. But in this guide, we will go through the four fundamental steps of the digital customer experience, and each step is accompanied by great examples to help you with your digital experience from the customer standpoint, and you will learn how to increase organic traffic acquisition on desktop and mobile, decrease the bounce rate for first-time visitors, improve your digital marketing through smarter content management, and much, much more. Download this excellent resource today at cmi.media slash pnr141b. That's cmi.media slash pnr141b. And thanks again to our wonderful new sponsor and friends at Episerver for sponsoring PNR This Old Marketing this week. Absolutely. Yay! Good resource. Absolutely. A really good resource that covers four of our favorite words. It's really just fantastic <laughs> much better together than individual and by, than by themselves sure. they're lonely together it's a powerful they're synergistic <laughs> if you will oh my gosh yes, all exactly. right before we go off the rails let's get to your favorite part of the show ladies and gentlemen it is our rants and rave section where joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like Oh, you know, it's something that has lasted a long time or it's something that, quite frankly, is like a Snapchat that has disappeared before our very eyes. Um, and let's see, I have this old marketing this week um, for what seems like the millionth week in a row. <laughs> Sorry so, about that. But, <laughs> but, yes. Um, so I'm going to go first here. I have a rave with a tiny, skosh little oh, baby, baby rant, rant at the end of it. And so my rave here is, uh, I'll, the article we'll link to is in the Wall Street Journal. It is just a, it's a piece of content marketing that I think is just delightful. Now, Joe, you know I'm a musician. Yes. 
Um, and I love music and I, you know, I'm not a guitar player, but I absolutely adore Martin guitars. And so I found this through the wall street journal. I'll get to that in just a second. This documentary that Martin has put out, um, it's a 40 minute documentary on uh, what's called the dreadnought, and the dreadnought is a classic shape. It's what you think of when you think of the classic shape of an acoustic guitar. Okay. And the article opens up by saying that there are many companies now that consider themselves publishers, and you know, in this branded content video and content marketing, pushing out the idea of this, you know, of of, of really talking about um, topics that customers will care about. And the article says it's rare that such creators receive significant artistic recognition. Now, here's the thing. This uh, this film, this documentary film, was created by Martin, and I went and watched it. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It got official selections at six different film festivals. It's that good. Um, Newport Beach Film Festival the Canada International Film Festival, the New Hope Film Festival, Southside Film Festival, and the annual World Fest Houston International Film Festival, all of which, by the way, are real things. Just, I will tell you from the Hollywood perspective, those are real film festivals that, are, that, are, that cover real things. It's narrated by Jeff Daniels, um, and who himself is a guitar player and, and, um, and apparently did the narration of the thing for a couple of guitars. He got a couple of guitars in return and did the, did the narration of the thing. It's just a wonderful, wonderful piece. If you're into guitars and you're into, um, especially acoustic guitars, which, you know, cover folk and country and, and really the history there, it's 40 minutes well worth your time just because it's great. Now here's my little tiny skosh of a rant here. I learned about this in the Wall Street Journal. That's the only I happened upon it during my search for content marketing. I would have never found it. And it's not like I don't subscribe to like music magazines and music sites and music, you know, blogs and all kinds of things. So I was like, how did I miss this? How did this not hit my radar? A documentary about Martin Guitars that won, you know, that basically went out to these six film festivals and stuff like that. So I started doing some Googling. It's not out there. There's there's a couple of blogs that make mention of it and then don't link to it for some inexplicable reason. And then there's this other thing that, that you know, this other sort of site that sort of mentions it and reviews it and says it's a great documentary. And but it's there's not a lot out there. The 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 promotion here was just pathetic. I you know, I can't imagine that there are a lot of people out there that have you know, that that wanna see this that never saw it because quite frankly they just never got any inclination that it was even out there. So I wish it had come to me in a different way, and I really, really, it just strengthens the idea for me of how important it is we have to take these important things we're creating and promote them. Using the classic marketing tactics that we've learned as marketers forever and ever, we have to promote these wonderful things that we create because it's the only way they're going to be seen these days. And, and other than that, it was just, it's a delightful way to spend 40 Would you hours. say treat it like a product? I would. I would. As you might expect, it's exactly what I might say. It's exactly what uh, I might say. Is it worth watching? I guess it is. It's just great. If you didn't get that already. I, I guess I will have to watch it. Yeah, it's just wonderful. It's, you know, you know, it's just a it's just a really nice. If you're into guitars and you're into music, it's it's really cool. Well, that was fantastic. I have a yeah. a rave and uh, somewhat of a rant just to take on something. It's funny you mentioned this 
uh, already earlier in the episode. So it was just weird that you brought this up. And this is actually my rave. And I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm going to tell you who wrote it afterward. But this is this. Okay. I found this is in an e-newsletter. It's called Starting a Stopping List. And I wanted to read this <laughs> oh, to gosh. everyone because it's fantastic. So so this is, this is from the author. The author's talking about, at the end of almost every advisory session that I do, after the group has spent the entire day talking about either the launch of a new content initiative or the creation of a centralized strategic content fun- function in the business, a funny thing happens. Someone, sometimes it's me, but most of the time it's someone who has been quiet for much of the meeting, says something like this. Um, We should probably align our expectations with reality. And the room goes quiet, heads nod. The realization sets in, this is going to be hard. Real people are going to have to do all this stuff. As the heads nod, the inevitable questions arise. We still have to support the sales guys with the materials they need. We still have to publish those four customer newsletters every week. We still have to update the customer resource website. We still have to launch that new product website next quarter. Having watch groups go through this arc of realization over and over, I start these sessions, even before I get to the new initiatives, by asking about all the things that the content team is doing. Then I ask why they do each thing, and then we list all the juicy reasons. At the end of the day, when the heads nod, I trot out their list and ask, which of these things can you stop doing? People look at each other, uncomfortable laughter. None of it. Senior management will want us to keep doing it all. The business case we have to build now isn't why we should do the new thing. It's why we should stop doing the old thing. As business professor Michael Porter famously says, the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. Whenever we tackle a new content initiative, a blog, a resource center, a customer help publication, one of the worst outcomes is to avoid addressing what we're going to stop doing. So when you find yourself putting together content objectives that will result in to-do lists, take the time to create a to-stop-doing list how about the newsletter that goes to 20,000 customers who don't read it? How about the resource center that has that no one actually uses? And before you start something new, start a stopping list. And of course, this is from Mr. Robert Rose. I loved it that much. <laughs> I thought it was Aww, fa- that's oh, nice, I thought it was buddy. fantastic. And uh, this was actually in your con- Saturday content strategy newsletter. So anybody who wants to get Robert's great writings you can sign up on the content marketing institute site but i just thought that was fantastic because i talk about it all the time but you uh, so eloquently put it that you have to stop doing these things if you're going to focus on really uh taking a content marketing approach seriously it's It's true very true it's absolutely true because you have to stop something right because every there's you know i have too much time and too much budget said no marketing person ever i mean you know it's like we have to we have to figure out what we can stop doing and that's the hardest the funny thing is to me every time i talk to a client every time i go in for a workshop that's the hardest thing it's like selling the ceo on doing this new awesome content marketing thing that's not hard they're like yeah go do that but the hard part is like all right well what are we going to stop doing in order to do that because we can't do them both and that's when the ceo goes oh well nobody told me you were going to have to stop mm-hmm. doing something i want you to keep doing everything exactly. it's like all right well just give us more budget and more headcount well no that's not going to happen and so something has to give and it's usually stopping doing something that really just doesn't make any sense to continue doing anymore uh it's it's the hard, it, that's why i think startups have it easier 
small companies that have yes, no culture. Oh, they absolutely it's do. It's much easier yep. because they don't really have to stop anything. They can just That's do. That's exactly right. And they have the history. They don't have the history, right? You know, they don't have the history of doing the thing. You know, so many, so many times big businesses are doing the thing, that customer website, like I mentioned, or the newsletter or whatever. The reason they're doing it is just muscle memory. I mean, it's just there's a team doing it. They've been doing it for eight years. And quite frankly, getting them to stop doing it would be just hard because what would they do all day, right? What would this team do all day? Oh, my God, panic, everybody. What would the team do if they didn't do this newsletter? Well, they would do the new thing. Oh, okay, but that's weird. That's hard. That's new. That's change. Yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> my uh, my quick, I guess it's a rant, is it just, and I'll put this in the show notes, this is also from the New York Times, Banner Week for the New York Times. Sponsored content takes yeah. larger role in media companies. Yeah. And I read this one. This was on July 24th by John Herman. And as I read this, Robert, Miss Paging Mr. Herman. <laughs> Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman. Um, I know, it's just too good. Uh, what what I see happening, and this is one of those predictions that will probably never happen, but I really believe in my soul it's going to happen. We just went through the, how the New York Times, I guess they're going to see 30% of their digital media budget be sponsored content native advertising that's yeah. going to continue to grow until we see the majority right. of their revenues turn into some kind of sponsored content play. Um, distribution is any everywhere. I think you've got brands that are getting better at creating content, but right now, uh, we've ta- talked about this before, sponsored content and native advertising is like the, the gateway drug to content marketing. And I think that's true. I think that's what we're starting to see. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's exactly what's happening now. So you've got these people that were really into advertising. They want to go to content marketing. What's that middle ground? Sponsored content, native advertising is absolutely the way to do it. Media companies are drinking the Kool-Aid. They are whatever happened to church and state and all this other stuff. For the most part, it doesn't matter anymore because they're taking this revenue in wherever they can get it. And Mm. at some point... Brands, uh, brands that are not media companies, the brands that we all know and love that sell products and services are going to become more comfortable in creating this content. They're not going to necessarily outsource it all. They don't need the distribution because it, the article says itself. And Stephanie Losey, who's a, um, you know, obviously you're interviewing her on stage at Content Marketing World. She's had yeah. a content at Visa. She says it's much easier if the brand retains control over the distribution. Because you can pick so many different places to dis- distribute your content, and actually could save a lot of money if you don't go through, go through intermediaries. So I think in a lot of cases, what, what will happen then, or what could happen, is that the media industries, some of these media companies, like uh, Yahoo, are going to implode, and brands are going to inherit the web. And I really see that happen. Now, this is a long-term thing. This is not going to happen tomorrow. But I think it, as media companies become so reliant on sponsored content opportunities uh, coming from brands, whenever brands want to pull that back and say, oh, we're going to do this ourselves, they're going to have everything at their disposal to do that. And and I'm not saying this will happen, but my fear is that this inhibits brands from looking, or that this, inhi- this is going to inhibit media companies from looking at alternative revenue sources. They're going to stick their sponsored content native advertising as their core growth area, and they're going to love it and love it and love it. And at some point, it's going to drop. That's and I don't know when it's going to drop, but then when as soon as it drops, you're going to see a lot of media companies in trouble. And who's going to fill that gap? It's going to be brands. That is, that, my friend, is a fascinating observation. 
there is there's a there's a great piece in there somewhere for you to write. There's a I love the line by the way when brands inherit the web. That's that's there's a that's a well, great maybe line. that's the title of the show. Yeah, or or maybe that uh, sponsored content or native advertising is the gateway drug drug to content marketing. <laughs> one of the two. One of them. We got good ones to choose from. But anyways, that's when I read that article. That's what I was thinking about because. I, I get worried for – there's no – I don't have any issues with sponsored content native advertising as a revenue not, right. source for media companies. But, boy, they are really all into it now. They've gone from not into yeah. it at all to everything. It's it's the future of yeah, the company. Exactly. It's exactly. a little scary. It's almost like the – it's like the the kid who sort of you know wants the ice cream and then gets all the ice cream, right? <laughs> and then that's <laughs> that's all they eat. Somebody's oh, going to be vomiting up some stuff. All right, my friend, yeah. you got a you got a this old marketing. Yes, I do. We have a wonderful this old marketing uh, to talk about. This is a quick one. Um, big hat tip, by the way, here to uh, Lee Procida. I'm hoping I'm Lee. I'm pronouncing your name correctly there. Big hat tip there for sending this over via the hashtag. This was a cool one. Um, this was uh, the the company is Houghton International. Um, and come to find out, there are a lot of Houghton International uh, companies out there. Um, this one is the chemical, uh, oil, and lubricant company um, that I guess was acquired in 2012 by Gulf Oil. So not a ton of information out there on the company, but I did learn uh, that it's uh, basically founded in 1865 and launched its first commercial product, um, which was a rust preventative in 1867. So it's been around for a number of years producing chemicals, oils, lubricants, um, all the support around those chemicals, um, obviously a very, very B2B company um, headquartered in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, um, and um, uh, basically a big B2B chemical company that has been around for a long time. They had a publication, and they've just recently celebrated the 150th anniversary of it. Um, and so they did a special edition of it. They have since uh, pu- a stopped publication of it. Um, but, uh, basically in 1908 says the, uh, says this, uh, what we'll link to in the show notes here, uh, Houghton president, Charles E. Carpenter introduced an industrial periodical called the Houghton line. Um, and every president for the next 100 years up until 2008 was the editor of the publication. And so the initial target audience was Houghton agents, but it grew so popular so quickly that it went to customers, prospective customers, and just was out there and ultimately got to a circulation of 200,000 before it was finally retired in 2008. It became, as they claim, I don't know if it's quite this true, but but they claim the longest running industrial publication in history. It was a unique publication magazine um, and I guess, very beloved by the people who subscribe to it. Basically, in addition to information around the products, it was basically they sold advertisements. They had public industries. They had provocative opinions. They uh, brought back all of these um, wonderful types of, uh, of, of human interest stories and those kinds of things. And they basically celebrating the 150th anniversary of the company and the 100-year uh, history of the actual magazine itself brought back a special anniversary issue of it um, that you can get from the from the show link that we'll provide there. They've got uh, letters to the editor that they're including in here. There's a 
story on prohibition that they ran during the 30s. I mean, it's really just a walk down history lane here if you if you're into history to see how this magazine really covered the different huge events of our time, war and marriage and the 1952 presidential election and um all of these different interesting things that really marked basically a chemical company creating a wonderful customer-driven magazine. Um, for a hundred years, and just a great example of this old marketing. I want to see more, more of that from some of these. And I know we, we, a lot of them are out there, and you just don't realize it. Like you, like the Ritz Carlton has their own magazine, and Walmart has their own magazine. But I haven't seen any dynamic launches recently, and I want to see that. So, can you make yeah, that happen? I think that's. I, I'll <laughs> can work you work on, on that? Yeah, that's my. That's my. Talk goal to some for of your you, clients buddy. and yeah. get them to to do that i don't care if the goals are i don't care what it is i just want to see it just make it <laughs> make it, it actually does anything i just, yeah, just want to see, see it i want to see yeah. the magazine please show it to uh, me so you're home this week Paging i think mr herman mr yeah, P. Exactly. herman um, so yeah. so we're we're both i think we're both in the office this week i'm home great. this week and then i have one last trip at the beginning of august to go to new york to teach a workshop um, and then I'm home for the month of August, heads down, working on content marketing world stuff, working on my new workshop, working on new presentations, working on a few articles, perhaps a new book, maybe, mm. maybe. Um, and some other things. Yeah, really just heads down in August, um, of course, every week joining you, my friend, on this lovely show. That's and I know that's the highlight for both of us. So there's nothing better. Yeah, exactly. Nothing better. And you? Uh, I am. Oh, it's content marketing world twenty four seven right now. We're looking at what's the yeah. opening going to be. Uh, you know, final sales stuff. Right? You know, we're getting as many registrations as we can in at the last. All that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just great. It's all good. It's all. I mean, I love this time of year because there's just so much activity and. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited about seeing it. You know, content marketing world is like you know that's our. It's our holiday. Content marketing is a holiday. That's it. Yep. I look forward to seeing all the all my friends and new people. I think I'm well, doing so. more at this event than I've done at any other event. Yeah, um, I've got I've got a workshop. I've got a panel. I've got a session. I've got another panel, and I'm this. Yeah, we have square. we I'm, have EMT standing by actually for yeah. you just in case. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Very much looking forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. We are signing off for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. And if you like this episode, number 141, won't you consider, will you consider, could you consider, please, please, please subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Or you know what would be even more awesomer? than anything would be leaving us an awesome review. And when you leave that review, if you leave that review, let us know. We'd love to thank you for it personally on the Twitter or on the Instagram or on the LinkedIn or whatever you like to communicate with us. And of course, we want those show notes and story notes and ideas across the hashtags as well. This old marketing is the hashtag on the tweeter. And we'd love to thank you for those as well. Um, we really, really do appreciate you as a subscribers across the story ideas. And if you like email, email is even better. Send us an email at uh, this old marketing at uh, contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, available on the show as we publish on Monday night, and of course in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.